Blog Talk Radio. Oh, good afternoon and welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, Conversations on New Jersey Education. I'm Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this afternoon's program. Um, today we'll be talking about um, the board reorganization meeting or organization meeting, the first meeting of the year. Uh, with me uh, is Michael Kalber uh, from our legal department. Welcome, Michael. Well, uh, thank you, Ray. Pleasure to be here today. Uh, I think we will also have Terry Lewis. Uh, very shortly, we're having some t- technical difficulties. Uh, my name, as I said before, we'll be talking about the board reorganization meeting. The first meeting of the year can really set a, the tone for the rest of the year. Uh, so um, it's important to get off to a good start. And if there are difficulties, how, to think about how you're going to get around those uh, difficulties after the first of the year. Uh, but before we get to the... Um, uh, the reorganization meeting, I, I think we need to talk about you, people got elected in November, most people anyway. There's only a few boards left that uh, have April elections. Uh, so if you're a candidate who got elected, there are a few things you have to do. One of them is a criminal background check. Um, Mike, can you explain some of the rules on the criminal background check? Sure, sure, Ray. Um, pursuant to statute, And and a fairly uh, recently enacted statute back in 2011, uh, 18A-12-1.2, every member of a Board of Education within 30 days of election or appointment to the Board must undergo a criminal history background investigation to ensure that they haven't been disqualified from membership due to a conviction, qualifying crime, or offense that's listed under 18A-12-1. Now, a couple of caveats on that, uh, particularly for this election. We're now five years in. If you have, uh, if you're a, a uh, an incumbent board member, and you've run for re-election, and you've been re-elected, and there's no break in service, you don't have to do a criminal background check. If you're a newly elected board member, or you're an elected board member coming back off of a break of service, you're on the board, you're off the board, you're back on the board again. You do need to go through a criminal history review check. Uh, the Department of Education takes the position that. You need to get start your fingerprinting process before December 14th to be in compliance with the law because they read 30 days from election or appointment to be the certification of election results, not when you're sworn in as a board member. We interpret it differently, but guess what? They're running the show, so you follow their rules. If you do not complete the background check by the time the organization meeting takes place for this year, the Department of Ed has taken the position as of today, December 15th, that you cannot be sworn in as a board member. In prior years, they allowed board members to be sworn in as long as they had started the process, even if it had not yet been fully completed. But in this particular year, they've taken the position because they have gotten the process down so well, turning around these um, background checks in from five to 10 days that there really should be no reason why you shouldn't have it completed in time to be sworn in as a board member. Uh, So that's really important for newly elected board members and board members coming back to make sure you start that process and be uh, cleared on your criminal background history check before before you get to the organization meeting. 
I should mention that if you're a first-timer, there's a cost of $62.70 exclusive of administrative fees. If you've been on the board before or if your fingerprints are archived for, say, you're an educator and you have that done, the cost is less. It's only $27.50 plus some administrative fees. So it's significantly less if you've had the fingerprints done before. I'm just checking. Terry, do we have you with us? I am here. Good afternoon. Oh, yes. Okay. Yay. Also, joining us, also joining us is Terry Lewis, who's a, a field service rep with uh, the Jersey School Board Association. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, before we get started, I'd like to our listeners, uh, I'll be monitoring the chat room. So if you have any questions, just put them in there, and I'll, I'll send them on to Mike or Terry, or I might even take a stab at one or two. Um and also, you can dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four, and just press the number one that indicates to us on the switchboard that you have a question. Uh, Terry, you know, Mike and I were talking about getting a criminal background check before the reorganization meeting. You know, you and I go back a while. Uh, there used to be only a few couple of weeks be- when you got elected in April, and then you got sworn in very quickly after that. Um, but now you have a couple of months. Uh, is there something the board can do, the and or the new board member or the administration, to help uh, maybe reach out to the new newer board members, or the new board member can reach out? Uh, should they try to take advantage of this time period? Absolutely, and it is really um, it is really nice that there is that amount of time between the time that you're elected and the time that reorganization takes place because it does give you the opportunity to reach out to the district. You can actually call the board president, um, contact the superintendent. And a lot of times, in most cases, the um, superintendent and the BA and the board president like to sit down with new board members and cover a few things, particularly what's going to happen at the first meeting, because there's a lot of things that go on at the first reorganization meeting that a new board member may not understand. Um, In addition to that, it's also a good idea to bring them up to speed on things that the district is working on. You know, these are the set of district goals that we're looking at. The decisions that we make are based on the progress towards those goals. Uh, These are the board goals we're working toward. Uh, Here's some things that are going to come up in the next couple of months just to kind of give them an indoctrination into things that are going to happen kind of right away that they're going to want to be involved in. Um, If most times the district will reach out to new board members. If they have not, it is not a problem for them to pick up the phone and call the superintendent or call the current board president and say, hey, do you have some time to sit down? I have a few questions. Yes, and I'm just going to follow up. I I think you're so right on the money with those comments that you need to start building – a working relationship with everyone on the board and the administration, and uh, this gives you some time instead of just stepping into a meeting and not really knowing anyone. Uh, so uh, you know, and the relationship part, Ray, is really key because you're absolutely right. Um, there is a relationship that's involved uh, with you know knowing what is going on, what people are working on, what the district is working toward, what the current vision is. Uh, you know, rather than going in and, you know, taking a look at and just uh, making decisions 
and not knowing what they're based on. So yeah, that's really uh, important. Uh, Mike, for those maybe for those board members who haven't uh, the new board members or even the veteran board members uh, uh, who are getting ready for their first meeting, um, when does the first the, the organization meeting have to take place? Well, we're talking about the. Let's start from the premise that if we're talking now about elected school boards who had their November election. The organization meeting for that those boards, uh, the vast majority of boards in the state of New Jersey, uh, is, the, is from January 1 to January 7. If the board cannot meet during that time period because of lack of a quorum or some other reason, like, oh, I don't know, a snowstorm maybe or something like that, there is an extension for three days until January 10th. We recommend that if you have to reschedule a meeting for that, that purpose, um, that you re-advertise appropriately so that folks can uh, know exactly when, when you're going to meet and where you're going to meet. If you're in April election, that reorganization meeting is in generally the two weeks after the election. And if you're an appointed board, depending on whether you're a type, just a type one regularly or a VOTEC or others, it's at different times of the year. But we're focusing right now on the organization meeting in January. So you have the organization, Mike, I'll just follow this up because these are a couple of quick fa uh, questions. They're procedural, but they're important. Um, the first thing the board has to do is elect the president to preside over the year. If you don't have a president, who opens the meeting? That's a great question. Uh, typically, board policy controls, but I think in most instances what happens is the school, bu the school business administrator, board secretary will open the meeting. We'll, they'll start with the election of officers, particularly the president and vice president, and then once an officer is elected, that person will become the presiding officer and will then run the meeting from that point on. Ray, if okay. I can make one other point, we talked about when, when the organization meeting takes place. It's really the responsibility of the outgoing board, if you think about it, to schedule a date and time for that meeting because guess what? The new board mm -hmm. hasn't organized yet. So the outgoing board will have create, come up with that time and, and date and place either in their annual meeting notice, which they would have adopted the problem previous January, or perhaps through a special meeting notice issued in, in uh, November or December. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things we talked about. We'll stay with the, the selection of the president. I want to get to the okay. office a little bit later. Um, but uh, – Sometimes, and I, I've heard this happen over my tenure with the association, they can't come to it. Well, first of all, uh, be, if they can't get to the decision, but let's go. But first, ha, is there a, per, a law or procedure that a district has to follow um, in terms of the nomination for a president? Can they put in, you know, do they put in like two or three names at once? Do they need a second on a name, um, or do they do, vote at? One name at a time. Is there any way to one way to do this? Well, there's there are multiple ways to do it, and it's typically governed by board policy. And so, as you approach the organization meeting, it's important to see your policy on the election of officers. What some boards will do is call for nominations, and as a nomination comes in, a single nomination and a second, uh, will vote on that individual person for the office. If you follow that procedure, then a majority of those president voting will suffice to elect the individual. Some boards will get all the nominations in, and there could be two or three 
people who would like to be the president. If those nominations are accepted and the nominations are closed and you vote on that two or three, the general rule in elections is that when you have multiple candidates, a plurality vote would suffice. So on a nine-member board, you could have a four-three-two vote with three candidates, and those four votes would carry the day with respect to electing the president. So it's important to know either through board policy or through an adopted procedure beforehand how you're going to handle that because it will make a difference in terms of who gets elected and who does not. So, Terry, just to your point earlier, if you're a new board, a newly elected board member, uh, that might be one of the first questions you ask is, what is our board policy in that area in terms of the first meeting? be one of those questions that you could ask is, you know, how are, what is the procedure for um, electing both the president and the vice president? Okay. Um, which Mike explained very beautifully. Um, that's, I why I, that's why I invited the, him. Yes. <laughs> The important part for board members is to remember that even though you're new and you may not uh, know these people, it's still important, I think, to exercise your vote. How can you get to know them? Well, if you had a meeting ahead of time with the current board president, that would be one. I know on our board, if we had multiple people that were running for the board president position, um, they would to give a, a, a brief synopsis of their board career and just a little bit about themselves to the rest of the board. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that I'm saying is that they need to remember to exercise their option is to go on to probably what your next question might be, is what happens if there is a tie vote? Yeah, well, that was actually my next question. Is, you know, you're so perceptive, Terry. Uh, I'm a mind reader. I'm a mind reader. <laughs> well, Mike, I, I'll get to you. Uh, it does happen that uh, there's a tie vote. Uh, maybe someone's not there, and we'll get to that later, I guess, too. But say there's a tie vote, um, and they can't come to a resolution that uh, day. What happens? Well, if... It, the, one of the few things that you absolutely positively have to do in an organizational meeting is elect a president and vice president. A tie vote does not elect. You need a majority. So if you can't come to an agreement, you can't recess, come back that same day, maybe talk about it again, vote again, and it's still tied, it's a failure to elect, and the county superintendent by statute, 18A15-1, will appoint president for the board. Most county superintendents would rather not have to do that, so they will encourage boards to try and come to a resolution on this. But by statute, if you can, they can't agree on a president or vice president, the county superintendent appoints. And I, I think we try to encourage boards to come to that decision themselves, too, uh, uh, in our field service department. Uh, right, Terry? Absolutely, because really when it comes down to it is this. If you are voting and the candidate of your choice may not be prevailing or it is a tie, you're probably not going to like who the executive county superintendent picks anyway. So it's really important, I think, for the board to sit down, take stock of the, the situation where they are, and somebody's going to have to give. Doesn't mean that it's a defeat. Doesn't mean you didn't win. What it means is, you know, we need to make a decision for the best interest of the board. 
We need to, you know, be able to move on past this. We need to be in charge of our own decisions. So somebody needs to give uh, so that you can actually come out with the election of a president. What Uh, we say is don't abdicate your responsibility. Yes, yes. Uh, Mike, um, if someone uh, uh, can't make a meet, uh, well, I'm going to change gears. the oath of office. I'm a new board member. Uh, I'm newly elected. Even if you're reelected, uh, the oath of office is a nice ceremony. Um, who can deliver the, the oath of office, and what does the oath even mean? Well, let's talk about a couple of things with oath of office. Uh, there are people who are licensed in the state of New Jersey to take oaths. The uh, board secretary is statutorily authorized to take oaths. There are other individuals such as lawyers and judges and mayors and surrogates and county clerks and sheriffs and freeholders and notary publics and all those folks who are certified to take an oath. So any of those individuals can administer the oath of office. Most typically it's the board secretary. Most typically it's at the organization meeting. But sometimes people may have a relative, they may have a a friend, who is authorized to take oaths and would like to have that individual administer the oath of office. Maybe it's a family member. And they can certainly do so if they're licensed to do that. Uh, one of the things that in the so there are several elements in the oath of office. One of them is that you'll support the Constitution of the United States and the state of New Jersey. You're going to faithfully, impartially, and justly perform the duties of your office and that you possess the qualifications for membership. Uh, it's it's a little bit more involved than that. There's also an oath of allegiance that's involved, but basically it's a pretty it's a standard form that every school district in the in the state uses. Uh, some of the questions we get for oaths of office for board members is, can I be sworn in before the board meeting? I can't make it that night. Can you? If the meeting's going to be on Wednesday, can you swear me in on Tuesday? The simple answer is no. We can't swear you in on Tuesday. Because guess what? The old board is still in effect. There's no seat to be sworn into until the organization meeting. Now, after the meeting, in private, you certainly could administer the oath of office and swear somebody in. If you are doing the oath of office at a public meeting, it needs to be done in public. It wouldn't be done in closed session. So with those parameters in place, you know, I think that's what we're looking at with the oath of office. Ray, if I can go back to a couple of common questions that we get about president and vice president. Okay. Because there are a couple pieces I think that we didn't that we didn't touch on that um, I think are important. One is we talked about voting. One of the questions we got we get often in terms of the voting procedures is can I use a secret ballot? And the simple answer is no. You can't use a secret ballot because the Sunshine Law requires that the uh, minutes of the meeting indicate the vote of every member. What some boards will do is they won't do a secret ballot, but they will do a paper ballot because sometimes people are uncomfortable with their votes in public, but they'll do a paper. They don't want to be intimidated. They'll do a paper ballot, and then the board secretary will read, you know, John Smith voted for candidate A. Jane Jones voted for candidate B. And we'll read those aloud so that members of the public know how everybody voted and can tally it into the minutes appropriately. 
The other question that we get, we talked about tie votes. Can you adjourn the meeting and come back at a later date and meet again? The answer is no. It has to be done through the organization meeting. Can't adjourn and come back at a later date. Uh, having said that, there have been circumstances where some county superintendents have told boards to go back and vote again. That's not in statute anywhere. That's not in code anywhere, but it has happened on occasion. Okay. I, I've heard that, too. Well, and sometimes they have people vote again if a board member was missing at that meeting. And instead of having nine, they had eight. And uh, I, I have heard that. Um, Terry, you know, I just want to I'm, do one I'm gonna more. Weigh, I'm going to weigh in a little bit here because this, this is a hot topic, I think. Um, the executive county superintendent also does not have to pick just the people that were currently in oh. the running at that particular board meeting. Absolutely. So they can actually say anyone that is interested, you know, please send me a letter of interest and then pick from those interested candidates. That, that's true. I, I forgot. And that, that actually has happened, too. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, Terry, a board split, and and they finally come to a conclusion. Maybe it's a county superintendent. Maybe it's just a, a vote at 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, to get the president and the vice president, but particularly the president because that's the one that will chair the meeting for the rest of the year. Um, what should, uh, is there any advice we give to a board president? Because now you already come in and it's a split board uh, just on your selection. Uh, is there any advice that maybe a board, the newly elected board president should think of as they move forward? You know, and I, I'm going to give you a little piece of advice, but it's not just for board presidents. It's for all board members. You know, a vote for a president is just one vote in a long succession of votes that you will take throughout the rest of the year. So these aren't things that you can take personally. It happened. It's done. It may not be your pick, but the truth of the matter is it was the process that's outlined in your, in, in your policy. That's what you have to go with. So you take it in stride and you move on. And remember, it's not a lifetime appointment. A board president serves for one year. So you give them the benefit of the doubt. If they do a good job, great. If you think that a change is in order next year, then you vote accordingly. But I think it's really important for everybody not to focus on that and not to focus on the fact that, you know, them and us, because it's really not a them and us. If you really want to do a good job, for the kids in your district and give them the education that they're entitled to, you have to learn as a board member to get past those types of issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, when, uh, uh, Mike, I have one other thing. Um, if the board doesn't come to a decision on a board president, uh, can they, can they do any, they can't do any other business at that point, can they? Well, I, I think they can. I mean, there's president. There, let's assume. But I'm going to take this two steps. Let's assume they can't decide on a president. If they can decide on a vice president, then the vice president, typically in the vice president's job description, is that the vice president performs the duty of the president in the absence of the president. So then the vice president chairs the meeting. If they can't pick either one of them, one of the things they can do is elect a 
uh, president pro tem, a temporary officer, to run the meeting. doesn't have to be the permanent president. could be somebody else. could be somebody that they designate. And they can then do those kinds of functions that typically are necessary to be done in an organization meeting. Do you, okay. want, do you want to go into those now? No, because uh, uh, okay. I'm looking at my time. I have to go into a couple other things. I do want to tell people if they have a question, they can chat, write it in the chat room, and I'll pass it on. Or uh, if they can call one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one. Uh, Mike, we've been talking about the, the the election of officers, and I know that's a very personal thing. Uh, is there anything else that a board member uh, the board has to do with this meeting besides elect officers? Well, yeah, I mean the board is a um, a body that's in place for one particular year. It you know it doesn't. Uh, the lifetime of the board goes from one to so the the effect of certain activities that board members do is uh, it's important for them to establish certain things for the new board. For instance, when the board adopts its policy manual at its organization meeting, that's good for the lifetime of that board. So they need to do things like adopting the policy manual, designating the official bank depository, determining the future news uh, newspapers. Depending on how they have acted in the past, sometimes it's various personnel issues, such as the auditor, the attorney, or the school physician. That's much more common in an April and May organization meeting, because those things typically are more attuned to the fiscal year of the board. So looking at that, I think in January doesn't happen as often as, as what you might see in an April meeting. Appointing the NJSBA delegate is an important thing for them to do at that point in time, and also the selection and appointment of committees. Those are typically things that take place at the organization meeting. So for those board members who've been on for a while, uh, longer than when we had April elections, you could almost have two organization meetings. Some of the business stuff that is tied more to the budget, uh, as you said, stated before, like the order – the the selection of some professionals uh, could be done at another time, April, May, maybe even June, I guess, at this point. Uh, is that correct? Is that what you had That's stated? correct, yes. I mean, it's it's it sounds like you know people have asked when they've moved their election from April to November, do we still have an organization meeting in May? And the answer is, well, well no, not an organization meeting because the board is still functioning. The board's still in place from January to January, so there's not an organization meeting per se. But as you said, there may be certain contractual issues. There may be some other personnel issues, things that need to be done in that April-May period of time that maybe traditionally was in an organization meeting, but now it's just a function of the normal operation of the board. Uh, Terry, uh, many times... Uh, the board has to uh, discuss and have a dialogue on the code of ethics. A lot of times it's done at the uh, uh, organization meeting. Uh, any advice on that if they're doing that at the organization meeting? Some of the new, newly elected board members may not even know what a code of ethics is. Uh, so is there any advice you would give to the, them? Uh, yes, particularly if you have um, several new board members. You know, the, QSAC says that the board has to have an annual discussion surrounding the code of ethics. You know, several years ago it used to be that you just had to read the code of ethics into the minutes. Now you have to have a discussion about 
what exactly it means. So if you have several new board members, it's really good to put everybody on the same page, not just for the new guys, but also to remind some of our veterans, you know, what the code of ethics is, what we can and cannot do, and where we may be stepping out of the guidelines or out of the lines a little bit. So, yeah, we highly recommend it. Um, it can be done at your reorganization meeting. probably takes about 45 minutes to an hour, which is good discussion. Um, you don't necessarily have to do it at the first meeting, although we recommend it because there's, other than the normal things that you have to get through, there's probably not a lot of burning issues that you need to get to. But you can do it anytime shortly following up that uh, reorganization meeting. Uh, Are you there? Yeah. Uh, one other okay. thing, I'll just do a follow-up. Uh, one of the other things that uh, start the, the, the clock starts uh, at the organization meeting, and maybe something, uh, Terry, I guess I'll, or Mike, either one of you can answer this, is uh, new, either newly elected board members or board members who are in their first term or re-elected board members, the clock starts at this meeting for their mandatory tr training requirements. Uh, is that something that maybe they should look at at least at this meeting and say, okay, Joe has to take his Gov 4, Mary has to take Gov 3. Uh, either one of you want to comment on that? Terry, why don't you go first and there's, on that? I was going to say, and there's dead silence. Okay. <laughs> yes. um, if they haven't had the conversation ahead of time, because, again, if they've been meeting with the superintendent and the board president uh, prior to the reorganization meeting, one of the things that they may possibly go over is, as Mike had pointed out earlier, the criminal background check and those requirements. They can also point out the mandatory training requirements and outline it at that time. If they haven't done that, it is really a good time to set the stage at reorganization because it's not just for new board members. It's also for current sitting board members who have to take training in their first, second, uh, and third years of their first term, as well as each reelected uh, year. So I think it's a good idea just to put everyone on the same page to say, here's our mandatory retraining, training requirements. Uh, you know, Terry, you have to do Gov2 this year. Mike, you have Gov4. Go down the list so that everyone is aware of what they have to do and the deadline that they have to do it. Uh, any information that they need on whether or not you want to take it online or in person can be found on our website um, under the mandatory training uh, drop-down so that they can get a good idea of do, they, do I want to do it, is there a place close, or do I want to go online because I have a busy schedule. Okay, Mike, would, anything I think else? Too, to, yeah, I mean, it, I think I agree with Terry. It, it would be a good idea just from an informational point of view, to include that information in the board's packet so they have it not only hear it verbally at the meeting, but they also have it in writing that they can take back home with them, calendar is appropriate, and look, look what they need to do. Uh, the other piece, the other requirement for boards of education under the School Ethics Act, along with training, is there is the financial disclosure form filing requirement. Now, for incumbent board members, they're not going to have to file until uh, April 30th. That's their deadline. But for newly elected board members, they need to file within 30 days of taking office. So it's important for them to know and understand that process 
and now it's it's been an online process for the last couple of years. It's it's pretty easily accessed on the Department of Ed website. But that's, I think, another informational piece, particularly for new board members. Hopefully, it would have been ta it would have taken place in the discussion that those board members had with administration before the organization meeting, but also not a bad idea just to remind people of their responsibilities in that area. I want to follow up, because uh, that was a very good point, but uh, uh, the other thing, both of you had mentioned the conversations you can have with the administration, with the previous board members before the election. What information is a uh, uh, board member to be, someone who's elected to be the board but is not a board member yet, uh, what information are they privy to before they're sworn in? Uh, is there any restrictions on that, Mike? Well, before they're sworn in, they get, they're privy to the same information that any member of the public would have access to. They would not have access to confidential information because they're not yet a board member. Now, there may be circumstances where the board may believe that it's important for that in, these new individuals to get up to speed on an item. What I would say is you've got period, or now, now we're about what, maybe four weeks away from people all being their new board members. If it's really, really important, then what you would need to get is the consent of the individuals whose privacy interest is involved and get consent from them to be made privy to that confidential information. That's going to be only in the rarest of circumstances, and the individuals who hold the privacy interest would have to give their consent. So generally speaking, as a new board, mem board member elect, you're only going to be privy to that information that is normally available to the public. And as far in, and if there's some situation, be it collective negotiations, be it a personnel matter that is a really hot item that you have to jump on right away, there may be an ability to get consent from the affected parties to allow you to see that information beforehand. Uh, one of the other things that happens at that first meeting, uh, or I shouldn't say that, uh, can happen at that first meeting, usually it happens a little bit later on, is uh, the if they have committees, if they work through the committee system, the selection of committees. Um, that does not have to happen, though, uh, at that meeting, uh, does it, Mike? Uh, well, it would really depend on the board's organizational structure. Uh, generally, it could happen at any time, but I think that, you know, shortly either initially at the organization meeting or shortly thereafter, since it is the new board, since it is the new board structure, there would need to be a determination as to uh, how those committees are selected. And, Terry, that boards do that through a lot of different processes, don't they? Uh, yes, they do. Uh, a lot of times they will ask or a new president or an, uh, an incumbent president may say, you know, I'm getting ready to put together the selection of committees. I'd like to have it for our next meeting, if that's what their policy says. If you have any areas of interest, you know, let me know. I can't guarantee that I can accommodate them all, but I'd like to put everybody where their area of interest or area of strength is. That's one way that they can do it. Um, but I think it's important, like Mike said, look at the organizational structural structure, look at the policy to see what it says about what committees do we have, what standing committees, and how they will be filled. 
because sometimes they do outline a procedure that has to be followed by the board. Sometimes they just leave it up to the discretion of the board president. Uh, and, and those areas, if you're a newly elected board president, maybe you didn't even know you are going to be board president, um, you can hurt some egos and hurt some feelings just by the selection of uh, who you put on the committee. Uh, is that one of the – Terry, is that a, one of the advice – if you're a newly elected board member, I guess that's one of the other questions you ask is how are the committees selected – uh, you know, and if you're interested in serving on the curriculum committee or whatever it is, is that where you kind of make that first overture that you would like to be in that area? And how does the president soothe the feelings of those who may – maybe everybody wants to be on the policy committee, which usually doesn't happen, but maybe they do. So how do you soothe the egos uh, and the feelings of those people who want to be on different committees? You know, and, and again, I think it's important to remember, um, if you are a new board member, this is your first year of your first term. So even though you may not get the selection of the committee that you would like to serve on, please treat each selection as a, a, a learning opportunity. We tell new board members when they call and say, you know, we have these committees, uh, which one do you think I should put my name in for or ask for, we always say policy. Because the board is a policy writing body. That's what the board does. So if you want to know how the board operates, if you want to know how the district operates, you need to understand what the board, board's policies are. Those are the guidelines. So we say if you want to learn as much as you can, get on the policy committee. Serve on the policy committee for a year. It'd be a great, it'll, it'll greatly reduce your learning curve and really give you a whole lot of background in, into what you can do at other committee levels. So I think you know, it's important to understand that I may not get my, my first pick, but a committee appointment is only for a year, and that gives me an option to get on the one that I want. I just have to do a good job in the committees that, that I have. Remember, there's only seven or nine members so not everybody can be on every committee. And you don't want to be on every committee uh, either uh, because it just doesn't make time sense in, the, in terms of the time. Uh, maybe one of the other things is just a piece of advice because where people have difficulty sometimes is they feel like they're out of the loop uh, from the other committee is to maybe make sure that the communication from those committee meetings is given back to the rest of the board, particularly maybe to those board members who are really interested in it and, and wish they were on that committee, so the, make sure there's a good communication from the committees to the rest of the board? You know, Ray, that's a really good point, and I, I think it's really important that all committees report out at committee meetings to the rest of the board. But just because you're not on that committee does not preclude you from having a conversation with the committee chair and getting up to speed on, on what they're working on, why they're looking at things a certain way. I think sometimes when I'm a new board member, I come in and I don't have the whole picture. So I may draw conclusions that may not be entirely accurate. So if I think something, I, I would go to the person that chairs that committee and say, hey, look, you know, I, I see that you're looking at this and you brought this up at the meeting. Can you tell me why? 
because a lot of things that happen have been in the works now for three, four, five, six months, um, and you're just coming in perhaps on the tail end. So please, I mean, reach out to your fellow board members, reach out to those committee chairs, and find out, hey, what's happening in this committee, um, and what's the reasoning behind it. And one of the, Ray, one of the, the new, yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, Ray, one of the things that uh, we talked about, touched a little bit on earlier, and, and Terry talked about this, was the code of ethics and also the code of conduct under the Ethics Act. As you start to consider committee appointments and what you might want to be involved in, I think it's important for particularly the new board members, and all of them for that matter, to understand that there may be some ethical constraints. So it's nice to do a um, evaluation uh, and take a look at whether you have any relatives who work in the district, whether you have any, any family members that are outside the district, and what restrictions that may cause for you as a new board member, but also the incumbent board members hopefully know, but for the new people coming in, it may restrict your ability to, say, be on a negotiations committee or be on a personnel committee, depending on what kind of relationships you have with people in the district or outside the district in similar unions. So it's important to do that uh, inventory and, and you know, avoid selections or non-selections to committees where you might have a conflict. Uh, and I would probably would even follow it up that it's probably even more important in the last couple of years because uh, the School Ethics Commission has had many uh, decisions and not decisions, um, uh, advisory, uh, advisory opinions that you may have discussed it in January and have gone one direction, but it's possible that the same group of people, maybe it's not even a new board member, might be in a different position because of something that happened in June. Is that correct? That's correct, no question about it, because they've changed their mind in some situations. So it's important to take that inventory and get a look and see what people can participate in, what they can't. It's also good for the board president to know that because of uh, the selection process. If the board president is making a selection for the committees, you need to know which people have conflicts and which don't, because that will influence your decision-making. Uh, Mike, I just want to give you a, a, a question that I probably should have done earlier, but I've gotten several calls on this because it, it happens in a few districts um, for a variety of reasons. Someone gets elected in November, but they can't take office. For Maybe they moved their job, they got transferred unexpectedly. Some people have even passed away, or, or some people wanted to withdraw for health reasons or whatever reason, but they didn't do it in time for the, the election. Uh, and so, uh, but they are on the still on the ballot. They still get the most votes. What happens then uh, in those districts? Well, I mean, each one of those situations is factually a little bit different. But let's take a situation where, and we it came up just recently in a district where a board member moved out of town, had already been on the ballot, it was too late to withdraw, that board member was elected. Well, that board member doesn't possess the qualifications for office. 18A-1215A would say that the county superintendent makes the appointment if there's a vacancy because of lack of qualifications for the office. Sometimes we have write-in votes because there aren't enough candidates. The person with the highest number of write-in votes, and you only need one, that's the only one right in vote, and you're it. You get the seat if you accept it. 
If they don't accept the, the, the position, it's deemed a failure to elect for lack of candidates, also the county superintendent appoints. So each of those factual situations have a little bit of a twist to it um, that, that plays in that decision-making. Sometimes it's the county superintendent, sometimes it's the board, but most of the times in those situations that you described, it winds up either being a failure to elect because of lack of uh, because of uh, lack of qualifications or lack of candidates, and then the county superintendent makes the appointment. Just as okay. we talked about earlier with respect to board president and vice president. Right. Uh, we're under our fi final minute. Um, any final thoughts? I'll start with you, Terry. Uh, any final piece of advice about the reorganization meeting, the organization meeting? Any final advice about the reorganization meeting? Yes. Yep. Enjoy it thoroughly. This is the beginning of your board career, and we look forward to meeting you. That's right. I would say if you're a new board member, reach out and find out who your field service rep is, uh, and that will help guide you through that first year immensely. Uh, Mike, any final thoughts? Uh, I would echo what Terry said, and, and I would add one thing, because sometimes people forget about this because of the pomp and circumstance of the swearing-in ceremony. It is still a regular meeting of the board, and it still is an opportunity where you can do board business, but even more importantly, you still must provide a period of public comment at that particular meeting, because sometimes people forget that in the, the joy of the reorganization meeting. Right, and I, and I would add, uh, and I'll close on this, uh, is that it, it, you can set the tone for the year by having a well-run reorganization meeting uh, uh, and move that forward, and you can set the tone. I'd like to thank Mike Calver, from our legal director of our Legal and Labor Relations Department, for joining me. Welcome, Michael. And thank, thank you, Ray. And thank you, Terry, uh, Terry Lewis, from our Field Service Department. Uh, Terry, uh, I didn't tell, uh, just tell us which counties you represent. Yes, I serve the counties of Gloucester, Salem, and I would say two-thirds of Camden County. Jesse Adams has the other third. Okay. Well, thank you for joining me, Terry, and that brings us to the end of this uh, episode. Thank you. Sure. As always, it was a pleasure. Thanks, Ray. Okay. Bye now.